0: Thank you for taking the time. I know that you're a busy, busy woman. I've told you this before, but I want to be public about it, that I really see you as a mentor and a role model in so many ways, not just in the profession, but just how you handle yourself in the world. I'm moved by it. I'm impressed by it. And I watch you, not in a weird way, but I watch you. (laughs) And I learn and I learn. So it's really, truly an honor and a privilege to have you here. We're connected on several different ways. I know we'll cover those ways today, but I'm just so happy you're here. Well, let me just say thank you for the kind words that you just shared and for the
1: invitation to be here. Hearing those words is not something that I take lightly. So I appreciate you saying them and I'm doing my best to receive them and and not, (laughs) but you know, I really do appreciate you sharing that. And it truly is, again, like I said, I'm excited about the conversation. I am excited that there are people in the space who look like us. And I am humbled and grateful that the work that I try to do and the way that I try to show up comes across in such a way that resonates with other folks. And so that, that is just a humbling moment. And so again, thank you so much for sharing that.
0: No, thank you. Thank you. And I'm kind of teary. So pardon me. <laughs> emotions are a part of the lived experience. Exactly. So I just want my listeners to know my like my voice is cracking because I'm I'm emotional and it's because <laughs> it means a lot. It just does. I mean, Dr. Kenza, you're a leader in the field. You talk about and treat people from a sport psychological framework as well as a clinical framework. For my listeners, what is the difference? Is there a difference? And like for Athletes out there and parents potentially, but also for people who want to enter into the field, is there a difference and how do you differentiate it?
1: So, sport psychology is the way I like to describe it is sport psychology is an umbrella term that includes different professionals that work in the world of sport and work with athletes and performers. And so, certainly by trade, I'm a licensed psychologist. And I'm also a certified mental performance consultant. And so in that, I say I work in the areas of both mental health and mental performance. And to answer your question, yes. Like mental health and mental performance are separate fields. Are they related? Yes. Are they connected? Yes. Do they influence one another? Yes. Because if you think about if you're healthy, that's going to influence how you perform. And sometimes how you perform can influence how you feel and what you think about yourself. So there's certainly a relationship between the two. When I think about mental health, by definition, mental health is a state of well-being in which we can reach our goals, we can connect with others, and we can be productive in society, right? So historically, I know when you say that phrase, mental health, people think illness, but it really is a state of well-being, right, in which you can function. Now, certainly sometimes that state of well-being is one that includes illness. And so to keep it simple, when we think about mental health, it's about how we maintain our wellness and then how we restore ourselves when we may be in a place of illness. Right. Whether it's a diagnosable condition or whether there's something going on that just impacts your ability to function at your best. Right. So that's what I think of when I think of mental health. How are we promoting wellness? How are we recovering and managing when we're in places of illness? For mental performance, it really is about how do we elevate the mental aspect of our performance in our game, particularly when we're thinking about performance. Right. What are the mental skills that I may be able to teach or employ that allow me to hone my mental muscle? So that I can perform the best that I can when I need to the most, right? In the same way that we strengthen our physical muscles, I think about mental performance and mental skills as enhancing that mental muscle, being able to regulate within myself, having positive self-talk, setting goals, focusing on the present moment, handling pressure, right? How can we keep our minds in the game in the way that our bodies need to be in the game?
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that very thorough description of both sides, including the CMPC. I mean, I remember a while back now, I reached out to you at the beginning of our relationship about like, hey, I've been a clinician for, gosh, over 20 years. I want to venture into the specific athlete zone. We had a conversation about, can I do that with the LCSW that I have? Do I need more? What do you recommend? I know that you had a clear answer for me around, well, and it was surprising and awesome was, well, what do you want to do? Right. Right. What do you want to do? So I said, I want to support the athlete holistically. And so do you recommend that people who do that or want to do that need to be clinically trained and have the CMPC? Yeah, it goes back to that question of
1: what do you want to do, right? So, if somebody wants to be able to work in the area of athlete mental health and they also want to work in the areas of athlete mental performance, I think they do need to be trained in both. I think one of mistaken assumptions when it comes to the field of sports psychology is people hear that term and they think of it as a catch all when, in fact, it's a specialty area, right? So, in the same way that someone may be a practicing clinician, right? If you've never had experience working with substance abuse or eating disorders, you may not take on that specialty because that's not in your realm of confidence, right? You may not work with individuals who are presenting with that concern. I feel like working in the world of sport and athletics is similar in that way, right? In that there is a unique culture that exists within the world of sport and performance. There are theories and research that supports why we use different mental skills, why we employ them in different ways. There are theories of leadership and team dynamics and theories of, thought, right? If we think about the different theoretical orientations that one might use in their sports psychology work. So does that mean you need to have a complete degree in both? Not necessarily, but you do need to be trained in both areas. Because again, sports psych is not a catch-all. It's a specialty area. And so it requires those who have that specialized training in order to be the most effective in the space.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, another way we intersected was that you were involved with ASP. Tell us what ASP is. So ASP is the
1: Association for Applied Sport Psychology, and I would describe it as the premier sport psychology organization here in the United States. And we also have international
0: members that are a part of our association as well. Which is amazing. And I know that you were active. And then in the midst of the years, 2020 and 2021, you were the president of ASP and now the immediate past president of ASP, yes. what did you learn as the president from that experience representing Black women, being the first Black woman to hold the presidency in that esteemed organization? What did you learn and what do you think was your biggest gift to that organization?
1: Well, that's a great question. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is that it was really a milestone moment for me because I had been a part of AS when I was a graduate student and had actually stepped away from the association at one point because I didn't see myself reflected as much as I would have expected to see that. And I didn't, in that, I didn't know if there was truly a place for me in the association, right? I questioned whether or not sports psych was the field for me. And I questioned whether or not ASP could be my professional home. And so I stepped away from the association for about eight years from the years of 2004 to 2012. So when I made the decision to come back, I made a commitment to myself. And I said, if I choose to come back, I'm going to be involved and not just be someone who is critiquing from the sidelines, but I'm actually going to be involved and try to make a change. And so my re-involvement with ASK began in 2012 and it kind of culminated, if you will, in me being elected to the role of president. And it really was a milestone for me because I'd had such a conflicted history <laughs> with the association in terms of not feeling like there was place for me. And now I'm, I find myself in the role of being the first Black person to serve the organization. So it felt like a full circle moment. It felt like a moment of potential growth for the association It felt like a moment of growth for me to even step out and put my name in the hat to even think that I might have a chance at being in this position. And I also think it was very humbling and very rewarding to feel like my colleagues and peers saw me as someone who they were willing to elect to this role because it is an elected position. And so I felt like it was a huge statement from my peers and from the sports site community that they trusted me in this role. So that was a huge moment for me. What I learned is that leadership is challenging and you may have these ideas about what you want to do, where you want the association to go, how you want the association to move, but you have to be willing to meet people where they are and kind of help bring them along as opposed to just steamrolling and bulldozing any situation, right? And you have to be willing to compromise and progress may move slower than you would like for it to move, but you have to be able to recognize the progress that is being made and you have to be willing to endure and persevere because it's challenging. And there are challenges seen and unforeseen that may come up and may make it difficult to lead. But I think I learned that endurance and perseverance are really essential. I also learned that having good people around you makes leadership easier, if not a lot easier. And so I was very grateful for those who served on the board at the time that I was president and all of the other leaders in the association that, that volunteer their time. I learned that leadership is one person may hold a
0: title, but it takes a lot of people to lead together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it has to be. And I appreciate you know, your journey, which sounds very personal and professional at the same time with asking kind of where you were and where you are. Still, I mean, I started getting active when I saw you there. Like when I saw just you, a Black woman there and have to have been esteemed and supported to get there because it is an elected position. I'm like, oh, this organization must be about something if they have her there.
1: (laughs) I was surprised, actually, by the amount of people that reached out to say that seeing you as a Black woman as the president of this association, like touched them or meant something to them in some way. Like, I really was surprised by that. But I think it just speaks to the point of representation being so powerful and representation not being the only thing that's needed, right? But when you see someone who looks like you in certain roles and positions and places and stations, that really does open up your eyes and maybe expand your belief around the possibilities of what may be or what could be true for you, right? It just widens the idea of what's possible. And so I was grateful for that
0: part of the experience as well. Representation and quality representation. Right. It made me more curious about what is really asked about because I already knew what you were about. And so if they're going to uplift you and put you in this position and actually work to support you to retain the position and do good work, that's something for me to take a closer look at. So I really appreciate it. I mean, I think the other thing we have in common is leadership community involvement service. We're both members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. We are. (laughs) Our beloved sisterhood, another reason why we are connected. You continue to help me grow as a person in our discussion about myself being of Filipino and white heritage and being a member of a predominantly Black, organization, which is changing and evolving as the years go on, and how to represent that. So I thank you again for the words, the time, the mirroring, you know, it really comes down to at a time where my Filipino people and my Caucasian people couldn't really see me for who I was. And that happens. And that didn't love me in the way I wanted to be loved at that time of my life. Black people in the Black community showed up for me. And I will always have a big piece of my heart committed to Black people and Black communities in visibility and uplift. And so we share that. And that really, knowing I have an ally and a sister in that is just amazing. Amazing. It means a lot.
1: Thank you for sharing that because I think that's powerful. Like it's powerful because that reflects the experience that you've had, right? And I know we talk a lot especially in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of discussion about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that all of those things are vitally important. And as we think about sports spaces and sport environments and organizations and teams and, and who's represented and reflected in different spaces, I think we do need to be conscious of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think that the diversity that's represented, the equity that exists, and the inclusivity that characterizes the environment are really outcomes, right? Like the way to create those things are to have spaces that are characterized by respect and openness and cultural humility, right? Spaces that honor folks' lived experiences and allow room for people to be who they are in their cultural differences, in their cultural similarities, in their different lived experiences, right? I think it's, we have to create spaces that cultivate diversity, equity, and inclusion being the products of the space. And that, like I said, that comes from creating spaces that are characterized by respect. And and again, I say humility. Yeah. And that willingness to hold others in the fullness of who they are.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And now where I'm at full circle almost, I mean, never arrive, but like I have the benefit of the experiences I have as a multiracial person, a multicultural person, bringing the Caucasian experience, the Filipino experience, and the sort of cultural love and sisterhood in Delta, the Black experience is something that I will always give to and nurture and pour into. Speaking of that, you know, we're talking today, it's Black Heritage Month. What does Black Heritage Month mean to you? Well, oh, now that's an interesting question, too. Really, what I think is that it's a
1: time where the rest of the world and the rest of our country takes note of the excellence that exists within the Black community, right? And I think that what we have seen historically is that that excellence that is highlighted is usually from the past. That's what I think of Black History Month, the Black Heritage Month. That's really what I think. What I think it means within the Black community is honoring the excellence that we see every day. It's just right. to elevate it in the ways that we elevate anyway. And right. And so I think that the month of February sometimes is an opportunity for others who may not see recognize, validate, appreciate the contributions of Black people to particularly the United States. I think it's an opportunity for them to learn about the ways in which we have contributed. But I think think for Black people, it's an ongoing celebration that we engage in year round.
0: Yes. Thank you for that. I thank you for that. Because I mixed about it sometimes. Like, Why does it gotta be only one month? And, you know, it's different when you are within a certain community and then they say that's your community's month. Like, okay, all right. So it means if you're in group, it's different than if you're not in the group, so to speak, or affiliate with it in a certain way. So I appreciate that. Tell me about some of the work you're doing now in sports psychology and clinical sports psychology. What athletes are you working with? You know, we're in the Winter Olympics right now football season's ending? I know you work with teams, coaches, and athletes. Like, What are you finding are some of the themes in the work that you're doing right now?
1: So some of the places where I'm working right now, I still have my private practice here in Atlanta. So I still see individual clients through my practice, but I do also have the opportunity to work with and consult with teams. Then I've also been working at kind of the league level in terms of some consultation services as it relates to athlete mental health and also wellness for coaches and staff that work in the leagues too. And so I think some of the primary themes that I'm seeing now, which would not be of surprise to anyone listening, if you've been aware in the past two years, some of the themes are continuing to navigate the uncertainty that exists around COVID, some of the disruption to normal Whatever your normal was, the disruption to that that we've experienced as a result of the global pandemic. And also thinking about the issues around social justice and creating more inclusive and equitable spaces, like having those conversations as well, particularly at the team and organizational levels, right? Like, how do we manage feeling burned out, feeling overwhelmed? How do we see the opportunities in this moment when all it feels like is challenge, right? So, those are some of the conversations that I've been having. On an individual level, I think what I typically see, what I've seen, I've seen increases in anxiety, which again, would be expected because of the way the world has moved in the past couple of years. But I also think I don't want to overlook the fact that what I've also seen is people recognizing the ways in which they have strength that they may not have recognized that they have before. Because all of us have had to tap into some level of strength, whether it was through a support system whether it was an internal source of strength that we didn't realize that we had whether it's developing new skills to cope with the changing norms that we've had to navigate for the past few years so i think that's another thing that i've seen as well is folks kind of recognizing that no i don't necessarily like constant change but i can navigate it right and there are things that i can do to adjust and pivot if you will and to recognize that as a strength and that's a skill that I possess so It hasn't all been just speaking about the challenges. It has been identifying the ways in which we can cope with adversity and we can navigate adversity and maintain our health and wellness and even in some instances thrive, even in the midst of challenging situations. So I think I've seen that in recent years too.
0: Yeah. People feel guilty when they're able to talk about and they choose their words carefully about, oh, well, the pandemic has actually been good for me. Mm-hmm. And that there's a way that like, yes, people are sick and have died. Things are different with Omicron's less severe, but and less impactful on athletes and their ability to play, practice and stay in season and things like that. But is it wrong of me? to say that I've benefited from it somehow or like feel like I've slowed down my life enough to feel like more in touch with it. And actually that would have never happened without COVID. I mean, right. That is
1: probably the idea that the world slowed down in such a way that we were in tune and in touch with things that we might not have been in touch with before. I think that might be something that's true for for many of us, if not all of us. Now, whether being in touch with that reality felt positive or not so great, I think that differs depending on the person. But I think that's one of the things that COVID did was it, it created a level playing field really quickly and that the world shut down, right? And we all were forced to kind of think about, we heard the term essential and unprecedented so many times in the early 2020. But I think what it made us all do is really think about what is essential. What does my life look like? And maybe what do I want my life to look like? Like, I think we might've asked some of those questions for the first time and when what was readily accessible and familiar to us in terms of our norm, when that was disruptive, we had to figure out something else, right? And so I think it forced all of us to do that to a degree. And certainly the pandemic has been disruptive and it has been hard for some communities and for some families who have lost loved ones, that is challenging and that loss is very real. And I also think in the direction of challenge and hard moments also lives the potential for opportunity and moments of gratitude. And I think what I've seen is people sometimes being a bit more intentional about looking for the opportunity in the challenge and looking for the moments of gratitude in spite of the hard moment in ways that I'm not sure if we paused enough to give ourselves time to do prior to the onset of the climate. Uh Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. I mean, you know as well as I do that it's a choice to choose to be grateful, to choose to be positive, a choice that takes practice in developing it as an option. In the pandemic, I've found that a lot of the athletes I work with have struggled with self confidence and motivation. Mm-hmm. What tools have you used with your athletes who may suffer from something like that because of this? pandemic that lead to the development of that mental skill of self-confidence and motivation? Like what tools, like for anyone listening, would you recommend and have you used?
1: So when I think about confidence and self-confidence, like I think about that in terms of when I see folks' confidence disrupted, it's usually because of something that has happened in a moment in time. And they're taking that moment and generalizing it to their entire past, present, and future. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that is really important to help people understand is that confidence is not about being perfect and it's not about not making mistakes. Right. There's a confidence that can come from learning when an error is made or when you fail. There's a confidence, of course, that comes from being successful. Right. And so what I do with my athletes, particularly when I see the confidence seemingly attached to this need to be perfect, we try to shift that association. And try to help them focus on being excellent as opposed to being perfect because perfect is something that, you know, you'll hear people say perfect doesn't even exist. Perfect is also something that really speaks more to how other people are receiving something as opposed to what's actually happening, right? But excellence Mm -hmm. is something that you can look to achieve based on your own skill set. It doesn't require anybody else for you to be excellent. Everybody can be excellent, right? So I encourage them to think about excellence. I also encourage them to think about and separate out moments from like their full body of work so you may have a moment where you have less confidence you may have a moment where you're not performing as well but let's look at the larger picture right because you've likely had these moments before but then you have moved through that moment and gotten to a place where your performance was back to the standard that you're used to and you felt more confident and you felt more capable and so i think that's one of the things or those are some of the things we try to shift from perfection to excellence we certainly try to help them understand that moments don't define them, right? And to help them recall the moments where they have been confident and the previous moments where they worked through a slump, if you will, and just try to help them keep those things in perspective and to understand and kind of rework failure as a part of the success journey, as opposed to something that gets in the way of them being good or being able
0: to have confidence. hmm uh-huh. I appreciate it. I think so many times, especially the younger elite athletes, feel I have to be perfect and depending on the sport, but I think it's every level and every sport that happens. So taking that one moment and not making it bigger than it is and helping them to navigate that is really, really great.
1: And sometimes for my younger athletes, I'll even have them kind of write out like a highlight list right so think about the all of the highlights that you feel like you have accomplished during your sport career thus far and just write them down literally put pen to paper or i guess if you want to use the note section in your phone you can but really write them down because as human beings we have the tendency to magnify the negative and to completely discard those positive moments or those accomplishments like we wash them away and say oh well i just did what i was supposed to do so i can't really hold on to that as an accomplishment but if we make a mistake we hold on to it to infinity and beyond. Right, and so really try to help them connect with their highlights and the moments where they have accomplished things, and to help them understand, you can learn something from those moments when things don't go well. You can also learn something from the moments when they do go well, and your task is to hold both, right? To hold neither
0: of them for too long, mm-hmm. able to hold both, right? Mm-hmm. No, I get it. Like. I- It's funny you said maybe it's the note sections in your phone, but because like a lot of my younger teen athletes are like, can I just, I'm like, you can, but these are the benefits of writing it down pen to paper. You know, (laughs) research shows that that like sticks with you a little bit more and there's no sort of device in between you and your process to help you get as connected as possible. How do you see the future of mental health in sports? The discussions, the prioritization, however you define it.
1: In my ideal world, I see it continuing to grow and it continuing to become just a part of the standard conversation when we talk about performance and when we talk about well-being and when we talk about the type of resources and support that need to be made available to athletes. My hope is that it becomes a part of the conversation in the same way that athletic training and strength and conditioning and and nutrition is a part of the conversation, that we understand that taking care of one from a mental, emotional, and psychological standpoint is really just a part of taking care of their health, right? And if we're not attending to that, we're missing a huge part of the person that really does influence and contributes to their ability to function in their lives and also function in their sport. And I think the way we got to this point in the conversation, I think, was because athletes, the athletes themselves initiated discussions and courageously shared their story about mental health and mental illness. And I think it was their courageously stepping out and sharing that, which essentially translated to a demand for us to see them as people and not just performers, for us to think about how we are providing resources to take care of their health, not just to enhance their performance, right? To understand that both important and we need to really attend to both. So my hope is that through the stories that have been shared and through the athletes really asking us to see them as people, that we will continue to provide resources and support for the person of the athlete. Because my belief is if you have a healthy person, you stand a better chance of having a healthy performer. I just hope we continue, really for me, I hope we continue to humanize this conversation. I know we need to continue to educate and increase awareness and destigmatize, but my hope is also that we humanize it as well and that it's not just reduced to signs and symptoms or diagnoses or coping strategies, but it really is about how do we honor the lived experience of people and how do we create spaces where they can show up as they are in the fullness of who they are and thrive.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The full human and all its (laughs) multi-dimensions. And uniqueness to each human, how they express their identities and show up. yep, all of that. I shared at the beginning that you are one of my mentors. like who are some of your mentors who have helped guided you to be the human that you are?
1: Yeah, my first mentors, I would have to say are my parents. they were both educators, and they really instilled a work ethic. They instilled a level of esteem and confidence in myself. They are the ones who planted the seed of excellence in me. And so I would have to say that my mother and my father would be my first mentors and my first role models. In the field of sports psychology, I would say Margaret Otley, is somebody that I saw from afar when I was a graduate student. She was one of the few Black women that I saw in the space. And I continued to see her over the years. And so watching her stamina in a field and watching just the evolution of her work was really inspiring to me. And also, I would say one of my mentors, and she's a peer, but I also see her as a mentor, Is Dr. Wendy Balaby. She is based in Chicago. And we were actually in graduate school together. Wendy was a year ahead of me. But I learned so much from seeing her example as well. And we are still very good friends to this day. And so she's definitely someone, particularly in this space, that I saw and that reminded me of what was possible when it felt like there weren't many opportunities and there was not much space available. And so those are two that come up for me within the field of sports. I
0: appreciate it. I appreciate you mentioning your parents and these colleagues, esteemed colleagues, role models.
1: But you know what? I would also say, let me say one, maybe one or two more. I also think that I learn a lot from the people that I work with. Hmm. Like I think they teach me things. Like I certainly try to help them navigate different areas of their life, but I also think I learned something from sitting with people and hearing their experiences and seeing the ways that they do navigate their lives and seeing the strength that they do possess and and the way in which they are able to navigate different situations. And so I learned something from them. And I also learned something from the students and those in the field that reached out and ask questions, right? Like earlier when you were saying that you were able to reach out to me in my mind, I was thinking, and I'm grateful for you and for other students and professionals reaching out because having these conversations, when folks ask you questions, it makes you actually think about, well, what do I think about that? How do I feel about that? Like it forces you to refine what it is that you think, and it helps you to reconnect with your why as well. Right. And so I'm grateful for, and, feel like that's a form of mentorship when people reach out and I have to answer questions and really hone in on what do I think about that? What's my view on that? How would I phrase that? How would I describe that? And so I think that's really important as a way of continuing to grow too. So thank you.
0: Thank you. No, I think that just speaks to your humility around the ways that you learn that people I sit with, the athletes I get the privilege of sitting with, I'm always growing. They help me grow. They help me learn, like you're saying, you know, and yeah, people who reach out to me or I get to talk with people who are like, I want to get in this field, how? I'm like, oh, okay. I get to remember that, like, and then remember who helped me. And so it's like, it's a really great, almost symbiotic process, I feel like. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Let's say you got the most esteemed honor of an award that is for the person who best personifies mental health in sports because of the woman and human that you are what would be some segments of your acceptance speech oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) knowing that you have people who look like you in the audience young old anywhere in between professionals or up-and-coming professionals who want to learn, people you've studied with, worked with, other coaches, teams, and athletes who might know you, like they're all there gathering in your honor. What would you want to say? Lisa, that's a question. That's a question. (laughs) So
1: let's see. It's not going to be very formed in terms of my response but I'll tell you some of the things that came to mind for me is that if I were receiving such an honor I would want the people there to think and I would want them to be there because they held these thoughts and that is like she respected and honored the dignity and worth of everybody that she worked with I would want them to believe that she did good work that she left an imprint a positive imprint with whomever she touched, right? I would want people to say that she was a real person. She was real. I would say to them, of course, I would say thank you, right? Like I would say thank you to them for support, encouragement, belief, challenge, all of that, because I think it takes all those elements in order for me to grow into the best version of who I could be. And I don't know what that is. And I don't even know if I'd know when I would gotten there, but if I was getting some kind of award and the room was filled with people, even more than the award, the fact that the room was filled with people would be a sign to me that I had done something right. And so I would also say, I try to live my life by principles that define my private practice. My private practice is called Gantra Psychological Services, but it's the G, the P and the S that really mean something. And so... I think that this is maybe a message that I would share with them because it's something that I try to embody is living my life with gratitude, patience, and strength, right? So gratitude for the journey, patience to stay present, and the strength to grow. And I think if we use that kind of as our GPS, that helps us to find our route, recalibrate when needed, but continue forward in whatever journey it is that we are trying to pursue as a navigation system. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. I love it. Thank you. I love that. And when this happens, I'm going to be up in the front row <laughs> <laughs> cheering you on and just taking in every word. Oh, thank you. I just appreciate the thought that you put into that. I know it, that was just a question that I thought of in the moment and it just kind of was a product of our time together and I just threw it out there and just, love just the organicity and just the sort of spontaneity what can come from a question like that it's a great question and truly it's like who
1: even knows right like you know again it's sometimes hard to think of yourself as being in that spot but i appreciate the question right once again it makes me think what i want to share as a message and i think the gps would probably be the biggest message that i would want
0: to share with i love it i love it gps Yes. Gratitude, purpose, patience, 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 patience to stay present and strength to grow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I know I've asked you many, many, many questions. Is there anything you want to make sure that you share or say or uplift in this moment? I can give you the mic fully and give you the opportunity to highlight anything or anyone or any cause that you'd like. Here before we end. Yeah,
1: I want to say congratulations to you on having this podcast. I remember when we first met and you were entering into the field and trying to find your way. And so to see you now in a position with a podcast, elevating the field, but also elevating professionals in the space, I think that's remarkable. So I just say thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And
1: I also say congratulations because we need folks who are passionate about the field. And we need folks who are passionate about the work to be those ambassadors for what sports psych is and what it could be. And so it's just really fantastic to have seen your growth even over the past few years. So I appreciate the continued connection and wish you
0: all the best as you continue to move in this space as well. Thank you so much.
1: I think one thing that I probably would also say is I know that the field of sports psychology has historically been dominated by white males. But I would encourage anybody who's interested in the field to know that there's diversity within the professionals as well. I know we think of sport as being a very diverse space. So I would also say that the field of sport psychology is diverse. And to understand that there is room in this field if you have a passion for working with people and want to work in the area of sport and performance. And so again, like I said, I know that sometimes it may be hard to see folks that look like you. It may be hard to find them, but we're here. And so I just encourage folks that if you are interested, pursue your path and find the people who you can connect with, who can support you and move forward in this journey for yourself.
0: I appreciate it. Yes. I think that Kenza is going to be, whether she likes it or not, one of my most esteemed mentors and role models. and. In that is helping me build ath Mindset out, which is building out and prioritizing brown and black practitioners to serve the athlete population, but not only the athletes, but their spouses and partners, family members, coaches and teams, and maybe growing out the ecosystem that supports the elite athletes and to offer opportunities for brown and black practitioners to serve if that's what they want to do and to come into, I think when people ask me, like, how do I get involved in, like, how do I access the athlete? Aff Mindset's providing those opportunities slowly but surely. And supervision, training, because the athlete doesn't exist in a silo. Right. Everyone around them should have the support that they need as well. So I'll be hitting you up for consultation along the way as I build this. And thank you for all your support. And, you know, again, I really appreciate our time. Um, together. I know a lot of people got a lot out of today, including myself, and I just thank you for the honor. Well, thank you. I appreciate it and I
1: very much enjoyed being able to spend this time and have this conversation with you. So, thank you.
2: One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sports epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CatSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. When we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur, or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. SportsEpreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.